You're listening to the Tuesday Talks podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology. Rebecca Johnson is back as your host, alongside Anise Jafford, to discuss identity authentication and the messaging channel, given the recent notice for proposed rulemaking published by the FCC on the blocking of illegal robotext. Keep listening to learn more on why the authentication methods employed in the voice channel don't necessarily translate over to messaging as easily as you would think. Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we bring truth and shed light across the brand identity and communications industry. I'm Rebecca Johnson, founder and CEO of Numerical, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with Anise Jaffer, Chief Product Officer at Numerical. Anise, it's been so long since we've been on the podcast podcast together. We've, we've actually had way too many awesome uh, guests and had a little bit of a takeover by Pierce yeah. Gorman. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, uh, it's really exciting to see uh, the podcast take its own life. And uh, here we are joining uh, after quite some time. So uh, good to see you on the podcast. Excited to be back here. Um, let's get this going. Yep, yep. I will say one funny thing about Pierce, and I appreciate him, you know, going through the experience of setting up a Tuesday Talks, preparing for the podcast. And when I would listen to him, I would think, man, that guy's really good. How do I get him to work at Numerical? (laughs) And then I'd realize, oh, (laughs) he has had Numerical. That's awesome. So I have really been excited to see the Numerical team highlighted through this podcast and letting others see just how amazing, intelligent, thoughtful, um, and passionate that the numerical team is about bringing truth, um, digging down deep into the technology and bringing reality to the decision makers so that we can make decisions for our own businesses, for our own organizations in order to establish trust. And um, that's, it just made me really proud. So I, I, I have to take a moment and thank the rest of the numerical team for filling in for us. <laughs> Likewise. So speaking of things that I am passionate about, um, this podcast is going to be focused on the robotext NPRM from the FCC. Now, this this is something that we, we saw coming, I believe it was January of this year. Uh, in one of our podcasts, we had talked about uh, Rosenworcel kind of hinting that We've got a problem with illegal and unwanted text messages, um, just like what the FCC was trying to stop on the voice side. And they kind of go hand in hand that fraudulent actors are going to exploit the voice channel. They're also going to exploit the messaging channel. But we've really been laser focused. And by we, I mean the FCC, Congress with the Trace Act, state uh, attorneys general, um, providers, carriers, analytics providers. There's a lot of players that have been really, really laser focused on how do we stop illegal robocalls. And the FCC is at that point now. It's been three years since the Trace Act. And so comments and reply comments are being filed so the FCC can assess, how are we doing? Is Sturshaken achieving what we want it to achieve? Uh, if not, then we got to go back to Congress and report, you know, what needs to be done. So I find it 
just a little interesting <laughs> that we have this notice for proposed rulemaking around robotax um and before i go into i, I do want to cover you know why is the fcc doing this what is the scope uh of this proposed rulemaking and then really unpackaging kind of some of the challenges that this NPRM is bringing into the market. And, and really the call to action from this podcast is for people to file comments. We need a lot of comments filed on this particular um, proposed rulemaking. So Anissa, any, any quick thoughts before we dive into that, kind of your reaction, first reaction when reading it? Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I looked at the NPRM, it seemed like it was put together by folks who are not really from the space, but know enough. And they took a lot from what's happening in the voice world. So I saw references to implementing caller authentication, um, having a do not call registry or implementing something similar. Um, and and brief mention about can we leverage to shake it. So for me, it was more like, okay, so there there's a, uh, the, the people who put this together have a little bit of an understanding of what's going on, especially on the voice side, but they're trying to translate that to messaging. I'm not sure if that's the right approach. That's how I saw it. But again, uh, I am not as familiar with the whole process of how FCC goes about it. So that's where uh, where I would like you to kind of uh, lay uh, in, in, in a way that anybody can understand. Um, what it means, um, why, why, is, uh, why is FCC going down this path, and what's the scope, and maybe kind of predict what, what we think is going to happen. So I think a good question, that first one of why. Um, and I think we'll all agree on the why. So in 2020, you know, the commission received approximately 14,000 consumer complaints about unwanted text messages representing almost 146% increase uh, from uh, the complaints before. Unwanted text messages present the same problems as unwanted calls. At least that's how the FCC views it. You know, they invade consumer privacy and they're vehicles for consumer fraud and identity theft. And the reason why messaging is another avenue for bad actors is because anonymity exists. Here we are yet again uh, where the bad actors know, hey, I can commit all these kind of behind the scene crimes uh, and defraud consumers and you don't know who I am. You can't identify who I am. So I applaud and acknowledge the reasons why. And I'm in alignment with the FCC that something must be done. Um, doesn't mean that something isn't being done. And that's one of the things that I want to address on this podcast. And it's also something I think that we need to report back to the FCC of what are the activities and actions that are occurring today. Which brings me to my first point. This really should have been a notice of inquiry. I don't think so I'm alone the, in that. <laughs> so what's the difference? Let me interrupt for you for one second for folks who don't uh, distinguish the two. So what's the difference between an NPRM and a notice of inquiry? So an NOI or a notice of inquiry is an opportunity for the FCC to say, hey, we're thinking about 
some rulemaking in this particular area, but we need a lot more information before we propose what rules we might be implementing. And when you look at the NPRM, kind of read the beginning of it, you'll get an understanding of what's the foundation from which the proposed rules are coming from. And to your point earlier, it's really pulling from the voice side. Mm-hmm. Um, Stir shaken is a standard with a technical solution. That technical solution is based on a particular infrastructure. That's for the voice channel. Messaging slash texting, however you want to call it. Completely different pathway. Completely different relationship with numbers. Completely different providers. So for instance, in voice, we might have gateway providers. In messaging, we have aggregators. Just delivery of the messaging is very different. So right off the bat, we should absolutely not look at stir shaken and pick it up and just apply it over to messaging. With the one caveat that stir shaken does provide a good kind of intro into, we should probably know something about who's delivering text messages and why. And do they have the authority to do so? So there's, if that's all we're gleaning from it, great. <laughs> but you can't take that uh, set of standards and this A-level attestation, B-level attestation. We can't do all those concepts over into messaging. Right. Period. Right. So now that the FCC has proposed you know, NPRM, so what's next? Um, what's, what's the current scope that it is? So, touching and yeah. where do they want to go next? So specifically, now that it is an NPRM, that means they kind of already know what rules they want to pass. So they've kind of outlined it for us. So I'm going to read from the NPRM kind of what the scope is, and then we're going to dissect that just a little bit. So specifically, the FCC proposes to require mobile wireless providers to block text, at the network level that purport to be from invalid, unallocated, or unused numbers and numbers on a do not originate list. That sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It also (laughs) seeks comments on the extent to which spoofing is a problem with regard to text messaging today and whether there are measures the commission can take to encourage providers to identify, there's that identity, Identify and block texts that appear to come from spoof numbers. As far as I know, that's not really an issue. The uh, last element is, in addition, the FCC seeks comment on applying caller ID authentication standards to text messaging. So here we are back to really what we're talking about at Store Shaken. So there's three levels to this. Let's talk about that first one, because I actually, you know, Anise, it never fails. When we are prepping for a Tuesday Talk podcast, <laughs> whatever the topic is, something's going to happen to one of us personally that's related to that, and this happened to me today. So I thought, ah, here we go. Let's test out the first proposed rule. 
which is around invalid, unallocated, and unused numbers. So I received a text message today. Look legit. It's a 10-digit long code, not a short code. We're going to save breaking that stuff down in another podcast. So I got this 10-digit long code, and I, like every other American, uh, get a lot of deliveries to my house. So it's I received this notice saying, oh, the USPS, United States Postal Service, is having issues delivering your package. Would you please click on this link and give us your updated address? So, of course, I'm going to click on the link, a little bit.ly, open it up. Lo and behold, looks just like United States Post Service. So I click on the tracking number, do a look up. What's the first thing I see? Scam, 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 because they're just using the same number on every single one of these scams. So I thought, aha, I wonder if this number is unallocated, you know, uh, it, invalid. So I did a quick look up. T-Mobile owns it. I thought, well, this doesn't surprise me. I'm also a T-Mobile customer. So here, here is where if we were to apply Stir Shaken and those concepts, we would think, oh, that's T-Mobile's number. T-Mobile originated it. They should have attested what they know about the entity and then delivered it. Of course, they should have known it was being delivered within their network, but that's not how messaging works. A voice call from T-Mobile will stay within network and terminate to me if I'm a T-Mobile subscriber. But there's no way for T-Mobile to know <laughs> that that number is being used for messaging. That is one of the broken parts of messaging, especially on 10 DLC. Um, so, so we can't use that concept that, oh, if we allow for carriers to block based on that, that that will have an impact. We need more study. We need more research. Um, there, I don't think there's anything right now that would have stopped that. The message looked very legit. Right. So any number, you know, even whether it's unallocated or allocated, you can have two components, right? You can have the carrier and then you have the alternate carrier for, for messaging. So you could technically have the same number allocated to two different carriers, one for voice, one for messaging. Uh, it's, it could have been very much possible that the number that you know, that uh, sent the text to you was not even on T-Mobile for the messaging side, right? Now, exactly. We don't know that. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's the, kind of the same thing in voice too. T-Mobile could issue out a telephone number and then it gets sold or resold and then it's used by an enterprise. It's the same problem we have on voice. Um, but the pathway is very different. And I think aggregators have to play a role. I don't know what the FCC's authority is on aggregators. They probably don't want <laughs> regulation or to be brought up underneath that umbrella. But um, just on the, on that level, that first one, it's a telltale sign that the FCC just kind of automatically, and, and this is the consumer group, by the way. I want to be really clear at, at the FCC, it's the consumer group that is putting out this NPRM. Um, and they just basically looked at voice and thought, well, it worked over there. Let's bring it over here, which was my first red flag when I was reading it going, ooh, we need some education on this infrastructure. If you're going to pass rules that are at a technical level, then it has to be yeah. in line with the technology that's used. 
Yeah, which now makes sense uh, if you're not familiar with the space, right? If you're coming from the consumer side, you're looking at a you're looking at the problem as a consumer, but then trying to figure out what solutions exist. Well, why is there something? So let's try to see if we can replicate that here. Right? That could be the background of this. Um, now, let me ask you about the do not originate list. Uh, they specifically mentioned that. Is there a do not originate list for messaging? No, sort of. <laughs> so there is the concept that a consumer can tax stop, whether that be to a short code, six, seven digit number, or a long code, which is a 10 digit number. Uh, and whoever's using that particular number, it'll block future messages to that consumer. So my telephone number, I mean, I'll probably text stop to that number that I got. Sometimes the bad guys actually adhere to their own personal opt-out list, <laughs> which is really <laughs> weird. But um, the, in the messaging space, there I don't know if this is actually still the case, but there is a provider who, if they saw a stop come back through their network, from a consumer for a particular number, then a block would actually get implemented at that hop. Let's, let's kind of use some of the voice terminology, but at that particular hop. So if another message tried to come through, it would say, hey, the consumer opted out, so don't allow future messages to go through, which is the same thing right, we have that, Right, but that is still um, dependent on the and the provider Correct. who's implementing the solution and they're all siloed, right? It's no single do not originate list. Right. And I don't think we should even entertain the idea of, of using like an opt-out list or the do not originate, which, okay, let's just pause because we're, we're forcing do not originate to make sense in messaging. The do not originate on the voice side is an enterprise marking a number that no messages should originate from this mm -hmm. particular number. Um, absolutely, I don't, I don't think we have that on the messaging side. Uh, then we have the do not call concept on the voice side, which would be consumers saying, I don't ever wanna receive text messages. So this is where there can be confusion on the messaging side, these concepts that are very specific to voice we, we just we should not bring them over into the messaging just right. shouldn't for that very reason right. yeah but I was, then... I was gonna say one thing and i think you and i talked about this it's not only what this nprm is saying it's what it's not saying so i was kind of shocked doesn't say 10 dlc mm -hmm. it doesn't say short code it doesn't refer to the CTIA short code best practices. It doesn't acknowledge the campaign registry. It doesn't acknowledge what AT&T and T-Mobile are doing in order to get identification at the origination side. Just, I don't know if it was intentional. I wanna believe it wasn't. And that's where I, I think it, it goes back to, we need to do some education with the FCC on all the activities that are currently already going in place. I mean, these are active. So I, I have some expectations that we're gonna see comments from aggregators and those working in 10 DLC who have been working on this topic for years. Yeah, I was just gonna ask about that. Um, 10 DLC was not mentioned, what's the impact 
um, currently it's been campaign registries in place enterprises are using uh, that's not even highlighted in this uh, so yeah that's that that to me was uh, was a miss or yeah, intentional or not um, that's that's a given so one last comment, and then I, I'm going to throw you a curveball question. Um, is with all that said, my point is, this is a really hard NPRM to respond to because the initial response is pause. You need to go back and get a deeper understanding of the technology before you can propose some rules. So that, I think that's the biggest challenge on responding to this notice for proposed rulemaking. Um, I'm very fearful that this would just plow right on through. And I honestly don't even know what in the world we as an industry would even do to react and respond to this rulemaking when it's completely just void of knowledge on the technology. Mm -hmm. That's my fear. I agree. I agree. So, um, and, go ahead. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I think the other the other aspect that it's missing is completely ignoring the uh, operating systems and device manufacturers, right? So yes, that's another gap. the gatekeeper of what the consumer sees. Mm -hmm. I don't <laughs> care what we do in voice or messaging. There are these players that are the device operating system providers who have the last say so. So I am curious, yeah. Anise, what do you think is going to happen in that space? And what is happening to address this whole fraud? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot going on, um, especially on, on the Android side. Uh, obviously, the two big ones, Apple and Google, um, the major manufacturers of the operating systems and the, for mobile devices, they, they have their own perspective um, on and how their users or consumers have that user experience. They definitely do not want to see um, consumers getting spammed, scammed. You know, and at the end of the day, that's uh, that's something that they you know want to make sure that they they provide the right experience. So on the Google side, um, there was uh, I think it was August maybe uh, middle to late August uh, conference in Dublin where they uh, once again it was I think it was called RCS world um, they, they're pushing RCS uh, which is available now as part of their messages app um, and that has been their um, primary way of getting um, getting RCS especially uh, to, to clients uh, some of the numbers and statistics that were mentioned there, the Messages app has grown to uh, 500 million users globally. And in the last 12 months, um, they, are, they highlighted that they have grown 50% and they're expecting to top that in the next 12 months, which is, which is um, I mean, tremendous growth if you look at it purely from Android perspective. But we also know that the carriers in the U.S., uh, all three, all three major carriers, AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile, have announced that the the Messages app is going to be an OEM uh, app for all Android phones, which kind of um, you know uh, corroborates the the information that that Google is putting out that they're expecting it to grow even further. Right, so there is um uh, there is a significant growth expected. 
And with RCS, they also have business messaging where enterprises can leverage and um, push information. So they have definitely highlighted verified identity to make sure that enterprises are identified when they are pushing or sending messages. Uh, the experience that the consumers get um, as, as Android users, which would mean um, logos, uh, you know, real-time rich data content, uh, spam protection was another uh, highlight that they mentioned. And also um, uh, receipts for messages, right? So when you read a message, you get a receipt back. So getting that back to the enterprises. So that, that whole uh, interaction uh, in, improves the experience. So that's what Google is pushing. And they are, they are trying to um, uh, get Apple adopt RCS as well. Uh, there are a couple of things that they did. There was a marketing event uh, where they were, I think it was called message, get the message out or something like that. Um, so they were pushing uh, Apple um, on Twitter and any any social media that they could find, uh, getting them to react uh, to, uh, to what they want to do on RCS side. And I also saw that there is a petition uh, on change.org that uh, people can sign up and, you know, um, again, uh, asking or forcing Apple to kind of uh, adopt RCS. So that's all happening on the Google side. In the meanwhile, Apple has been pretty much tight-lipped, <laughs> um, as we know how Apple is. Um, and I think there was an interesting interview. Uh, Tim Cook was asked about uh, what was Apple's reaction to, to Google's RCS push. And he pretty much said, uh, that's not a top priority for them. Uh, because their users have not asked for it, and even you know, there's somebody who asked a question about their mom being uh, on Android and he's not able to send messages. For which uh, Tim Cook, you know, pretty much responded saying, "You should get her an iPhone." <laughs> so, so that's you know, Apple being Apple, um, I, I'm not sure if they're not completely not working on it. I think they're doing something. It's just that they're not being open about it. Um, and of relevance to this whole topic is the Digital Markets Act in Europe, uh, which was which was approved and I think passed in in September of 2022. Uh, and, par and and one of the things that's highlighted in the act is uh, interoperability for um, for large messaging platforms. So you need to be able to send messages between uh, Apple, Google, WhatsApp. Um, so having that cross-platform interaction is something that they are they are, they are going to force the gatekeepers to do it. Um, at least that's how the act has been proposed. Uh, it's supposed to be enforced in March of 2023. So next five to six months is going to be interesting. Uh, either we would see an open adoption of this act and uh, and have an ability to have cross-platform messages. In which case, then all the things that's happening here in the U.S. will also kind of fall in line. Uh, I, I don't see a reason why um, once you have the uh, cross-platform capabilities, I don't know why it wouldn't be implemented here, right? So that's what is happening in the messaging world. Again, a lot of things to watch. Um, both Apple and Google uh, are doing things in their own space at this point. Uh, Google is definitely pushing RCS and it is helping them that uh, the major carriers in the US have also 
uh, agreed to push messages as the OEM app, uh, which is going to help further push RCS. With Apple, we have to wait and see. Um, wait and see on whether they're going to adopt or they're going to complete, com- continue to operate in a in their own little garden. So we'll see. Yeah, and I think it comes down to yet again, it's identity and the entry point. Not on the terminating side, it's just catching the garbage and then has to sift through the garbage. Taking that approach, just it's, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. So, you know, and, and we didn't, we don't have time, but 10 DLC really ended up creating vulnerabilities within the ecosystem. And 10 DLC was a bit of a reaction to maybe controls on the shortcode side. Um, so I, I think it's a bit of a mess that the industry kind of created on its own a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in hindsight, we probably would have made some different decisions, but it still always comes back down to identity. Disclose who you are. What messaging do you want to deliver? Look, we can't go into another country until I disclose who I am. How long am I going to be here? Why am I visiting? Who am I visiting? We have to do this as individuals. So we're going to have to do the same thing with all forms of communication. So don't expect this to stop at text messaging. Like you mentioned, like this is going to cross over into WhatsApp. It's uh, social media, just any communication channel at the end of the day, as long as they're we allow for anonymity and you can pop up any kind of account in a matter of seconds, we're going to have this problem. And it shouldn't yeah, be the receiver of this data who's fully responsible for stopping it. No. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. And I think uh, all the major um, uh, providers are taking note of it. So you can see verified identity being a thread in, in, in every one of these instances. Um, it just... We just sort of see whether it's going to be one single common identity platform or is it going to be multiple. I'm assuming it's probably going to be multiple given how they operate. Um, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, watch how things shake out. And please, no more 1990s retro centralized repositories. Dear God, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to just right. scream. <laughs> <laughs> So on that note, we'd like to thank all of you for joining us today for another episode of Tuesday Talks. Our next live Tuesday Talks session will be on Tuesday, October 25th, hosted by Sarah Delphi, who you heard as a guest in our last episode on the future of Stir Shaken and the importance of identity for communications. We hope to see you there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Tuesday Talks, your source of truth in the communications industry. Our next live episode will take place on Tuesday, October 25th, where Numerical's Vice President of Trust Solutions and recent podcast guest, Sarah Delphi, will be joined by Bradley Reeves, who's an assistant professor of computer science at North Carolina State University. They'll discuss the value of incorporating diverse perspectives in security and fraud mitigation from the academic world and other industries and finding answers to combat illegal calls. We hope to see you then.